When you don't draw iron. Simmons, an open three. Air ball. They just don't have any touch. This is Broken Jumper, a weekly NBA podcast hosted by the voice of AM570 LA Sports. Bob Schmidt. Me, Bob Schmidt. What a narcissistic buffoon he is. Like and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. And now, is this basketball? Broken Jumper. Welcome, one and all, to Broken Jumper. What is Broken Jumper, you may be asking yourself. Well, it's a podcast, obviously. You've probably pieced that much together. It's my podcast. I am Bob Schmidt. I am the voice of AM570 LA Sports. And for the most part, I don't exist in front of the microphone. I do. That doesn't make any sense, I realize. But I guess what I'm saying is, I don't do shows. I mostly do promos and branding. But that doesn't mean I don't have thoughts of my own. That doesn't mean I don't have things I want to discuss. And for too long, with the Dodgers dominating as much as they have been and being such a massive part of this radio station, a lot of the focus is on the Dodgers. You have the Extra Innings podcast with David Vassay. You have Dodgers Talk with Vassay or Tim Cates. You have the pregames with Tim Cates. You have Charlie and Rick doing the games. But what about basketball? Why is it neglected? Why do we treat it like everyone at the radio station treats Fred Rogan, which is, you know, irrelevant and sort of a nuisance? It shouldn't be. It deserves more attention, which is why I have decided that I want to do a weekly podcast where I talk about all the news and storylines from around the NBA. And so Broken Jumper was born. You can follow Broken Jumper on the various social media outlets at Broken Jumper. Or you can simply go to the iHeartRadio app and search for the podcast. It's right there. While this is the first episode, so it doesn't make any sense for me to say, go and listen to all the past episodes. Like and subscribe. I mean, you can't really even give it a rating. What if I suck? This could go sharply downhill from here. But the point is, if you like the NBA, I like the NBA. We could like one another. You could come here, discuss the NBA email the show, participate in the show. I'll be bringing some of my friends and other media people on the show as this progresses. This week, I had to bring a man who's one half of the tandem that regularly gives me an outlet to talk about the NBA, and that is Adam Oslin, pre- and post-game host of the Clippers and one half of the FNA podcast. Now, why isn't Kevin here? I guess I'm a racist. I don't know. Straight up racism. I didn't give him enough notice. That's the truth of the matter. So next week, maybe I'll bring Kevin Figures on, and we can continue to talk NBA. But for right now, I excluded him because I'm a monster. So later in this episode, we will talk with Adam Osland about all the various things happening around the NBA. But to get things rolling, first subject I wanted to hit, John Wall uh, wanting out of Houston. And by all accounts, it's going to happen at some point, possibly, but we don't know that mainly due to his contract situation. So joining me is the aforementioned Adam Osland, one half of the FNA podcast, the pre and post game host of the LA Clippers. And with the John Wall news, a lot has come in the way of uh, who might be traded for him. And the Clippers name has come up. So who better to discuss it with me than Adam? Adam, thank you for joining me on the very first episode of Broken Jumper. I could name a few people that would be better, but I'll, I'm glad to be here, Bob. It's awesome. I, I'm so proud of you. I'm proud that uh, you're putting us on this show. Like we've been doing the NBA roundtable on the FNA podcast for years now, and uh, you're fucking brilliant. So 
This is a long time coming, I think. Well, that is, uh, you're very kind. And I, I appreciate you guys always bringing me on. I, uh, I don't know how Kevin's going to feel about me cutting him out of uh, episode number one. But uh, how do you well, feel about oh, being the racism a- is rising to the surface finally? That's okay. all. Yeah. All right. Well, it's uh, <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, it's a non-denial denial happening on this side of the table. <laughs> but anyway, to the uh, John Wall news. So reports have come out, Tim McMahon and others, that John Wall and the Rockets have agreed that they will work together to find a trade destination to send John Wall to. He will not play, regardless of whether or not a trade is culminated. The reports have said that he's not going to play if he stays in Houston and that they will continue to try to move him until they find a situation. Or who knows, maybe they can't find anyone to take him on via trade and eventually they'll pursue the buyout route. But at least as of now, it seems pretty amicable between the Rockets and John Wall. The real complication, of course, is that as opposed to all the other people we've seen rumored in these trade situations, even the guys... With the big contracts, guys like Kemba Walker and guys like Kevin Love, John Wall's contract dwarfs them all. Owed $91.7 million over the next two seasons. Still relatively young in the sense that, I mean, he's younger than Russell Westbrook, 31, 32 years of age. But the big concern, of course, is that he's had consistent injury issues over the past several years. And just in the last four seasons alone, has only played just north of 100 games. So averaging somewhere in the neighborhood of 35 to 40 games a year. Maybe, though, he's ready to turn the corner. He played last year. Now, uh, Adam, what are your thoughts in terms of just John Wall as a player relative to that contract figure? Is that even somebody that you would have any interest in pursuing if you were the Clippers? And then the second part of the question, of course, would be, who would be worthwhile for you to trade and still feel out that the Clippers could come out on the better end of that deal? Well, I thought last year seeing him and Kevin Durant uh, coming back, both of them from Achilles injuries, John Wall almost two years removed from his Achilles injury when he finally stepped back onto the court, that we finally have pushed through with modern science and we're starting to conquer the death sentence that was the Achilles injury for so long that just sapped guys' athleticism completely and they were a fraction of themselves. I'm thinking of Elton Brand since we're talking about the Clippers here. Um, But outside of Dominique Wilkins, really nobody else has been able to recover well enough. But Kevin Durant has proven otherwise. He basically looks like the exact same player. And I wouldn't say the same for John Wall. And he still missed, I don't know if he missed more games last season than KD, but in the games he did play, there was there was burst. He looked better than I thought. It was better than just the workout footage with his shirt off in the last offseason where you can't really judge anything off that. Ben Simmons well, makes every everything from 30 feet out in those videos. It's every meaningless. Every player is putting in the work in the yeah, summer. That's what they do. A hoodie mellow is not the same as actual NBA mellow. <laughs> does that seep into your, um, just as a tangent, does that get into your subconscious in terms of if there's a player who's not on social media, do you then assume that he's not putting in the work? No, I find that refreshing. Refreshing? <laughs> less, self, less self-absorbed crap okay. that I need to see just to get a bunch of fire emojis underneath some social media post. Honestly, I never see De'Aaron Fox <laughs> putting any workouts on Twitter, I swear. Uh, the thing I find amazing is that when they put up clips where it's edited, 
I don't want cuts between the made jumpers. Yeah. I want to see it consistently. I want to see one of those situations where it's like, oh, Steph Curry made 35 three-pointers in a row. That's what I want to see. Unedited, one shot, backed off, no edits. It's more controlled than what I saw earlier in this uh, video of Gavin Newsom spinning a basketball in his middle finger and showing off at the park with some kids. And then the kid looks like he's about to cross him over, and all of a sudden the video cuts out. <laughs> Kid's never heard from again. Somebody said he was about to recall his ankles. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. But so I do think he has years left, good years left. It also depends how much did you value him at his best, anyways, with John Wall? Because he's not as good as Russell Westbrook. He was in the Eastern Conference. I think they got past the first round once the Washington Wizards did. Got into the second round one time with him. He had some really good playoff performances. Now, I can't blame too much on him because the team wasn't that loaded outside of Beal, who was often hurt back when he was there as well and wasn't as good as he is now. But if he's 85% of that, how much can that really help your team and what type of player can he be moving forward when he's on the opposite age of 30? Because he's, I think he's going to turn 31 in September. Is it 31 or 32 in September of this year? So that's concerning coming off the Achilles injury that he's going to be getting older. Because if it happens to you at a younger age, and I know he and Kevin Durant, same thing happened about the same age. But KD's just, he was more of a freakish athlete to begin with. John Wall, I mean, okay, he, he did have some burst. He wasn't that dumb contest and did like... Did he jump over a mascot as well, or was that just Aaron Gordon? He did something crazy where he jumped over somebody. Well, he was that was the Nick Cannon dunk contest. A I think freak athlete. Where it was like the team, like Team East versus Team West, like it was synchronized dunking with Paul George and John Wall on one end versus other guys, and it was kind of awkward and weird, and nobody knew what to make of it. I like John Wall. Here's the question: Is he going to opt out of the 47 million he's owed after this season? Because that's a player option. And we all thought CP3 was never going to opt out of the $47 million he was going to be owed. He did. But to that point, okay, so CP3 opts out for the sake of signing that big contract to extend, and CP3 considerably older than John Wall. Now, John Wall has his injury issues, but even in a hypothetical scenario like you're talking about, where let's say John Wall comes back this year, puts up good numbers, stays healthy, and hits next summer and decides, again, I'm skeptical of this, but let's say he decided I'm going to opt out. Maybe I take a little less per year, but I get multiple years as I'm hitting my 32-year-old season and stretching this out. Would that be the worst thing in the world, depending on, since we're talking about this from the scope of, let's start with the Clippers. Okay. Is it a bad thing for them to bring in Wall, have him opt out, and then potentially be able to tie him to this very expensive core they have of Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, those two alone accounting for nearly $80 million just between the two of them. Would that be a bad thing for them to bring in Wall, assuming he can prove this year that he can come back healthy, to have him opt out and then restructure a longer deal that would put him alongside a team that basically otherwise is capped out anyway? That's the element of it from the Clippers side, where you bring in a guy like that, you can re-sign your own players is like layman's terms of bird rights and how these things work and going way over the cap if somebody's already in-house. But it kind of comes down to how well he plays this season. That makes it the roll of the dice, really. Because if he goes out and plays really well and 
or if he plays decent, if he looks close to where he was two years ago, where he shot 37% from three. And he has not been able to do that, which is concerning to me. When a guy comes back from an injury like that, I remember this happened with Amari Stoudemire when he uh, did his knee and had microfracture back in 2005. Well, what happened? He expanded his game and he came back with a better jumper. John Wall, uh, in limited time, granted, but he only shot 31% from three this season on six attempts per game. That comparison to Russell Westbrook. Six attempts is a healthy amount of attempts. It, yeah, 6.2. <laughs> that is a lot. That is more than everybody on my beloved Cavaliers. There's nobody who even creeped to that. I would not want him taking those shots if that's what he's going to look like out there. So then where is his worth if he doesn't have the same burst getting to the basket that he used to? But do you think that six per game is largely a result of the fact that he was playing on a team who had nothing to play for? Green light. Yeah. I mean, I would hope that he'd play a different style of basketball alongside two elite players who also happen to be excellent three-point shooters in Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. And they have a surplus of three-point shooting on the Clippers. If they were to make the move for him, uh, it would be that scenario or the reasoning that you brought up because you're going to be over the cap anyways and you're trying to win a championship now and the window is two, three, four more years at most, you would say, with PG-13 and Kawhi Leonard, and we're also wondering what Kawhi Leonard's going to look like when he returns. It's an ACL. We talked about conquering the Achilles. The ACL has been conquered, but he still has injury concerns going back to the San Antonio Spurs days just a couple of years ago. I shouldn't even say days. It wasn't that long ago. So what's he going to look like, and would this be an adequate big three to throw up against whatever the Lakers are going to have whatever the Brooklyn Nets are going to have. And if you're giving up, and these are the two guys that that come off top immediately who I thought would be involved in a deal like this just because of contract situations. It would be Luke Kennard. He's making a little over $12 million this season. And Marcus Morris, who's making your guy. About $16 million. Million. He's got $50 million left. Both those guys have substantial money left. And substantial years. They both have three seasons left. And they're both, you could argue, I mean, the playoffs, there was a little reclamation there for Kennard after a bunch of DNPCDs, but he did have brief moments where you, you thought, okay, well, maybe with a larger role, he could come closer to earning that money. And then when you go through a summer like this and you see guys like Gary Trent Jr. and Norman Powell, those guys are making $20 million, then you start to hope that, like, okay, Kennard didn't come anywhere close to earning the extension last year when it mattered, but being able to earn that seems a lot more attainable now that we see what that figure is relative to the rest of the NBA. And because he's 24, 25. 25, yeah. He's entering his prime years, you can say. And he's a shooter. Like, he should age gracefully. And those knee issues that he had his last season in Detroit, they weren't a problem last year with the Clippers. So they figured that part out. Well, here's the one thing I would say about Kennard. If I'm in the Clippers boat, I'm not really all that concerned with Morris from the standpoint of age because your fortunes are tied to Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. You're working on the assumption that the window is as soon as Kawhi comes back to whenever those guys age out or injuries take them down or when their contract cycle ends. Yeah. So with these complementary pieces on the team, like like Abaka and Bledsoe and Kennard, Terrence Mann. Zubach, Terrence Mann. Now, Terrence Mann, I wouldn't want anything to do with this proposal. But if I'm in... From the Clippers side, you're not giving him up. No, yeah. no, I don't think... No, I mean, you're taking back... The, John Wall is a very solid player still. But he's paid like an absolute alpha in the league, oh, like a generational, you know, change the trajectory of a franchise type player. And that's that's the part where it's like, OK, the Clippers are doing you somewhat of a favor 
Now, in any scenario that happens here, knowing that you've got Kennard for three more years, knowing that you've got Morris for three more years, the best bad money piece for the Rockets to acquire, if we're going into this under the assumption that they're trying to build for the future and would probably prefer as little long-term bad money as possible, would be, of course, Eric Bledsoe. Because he can be waived next summer and only has a guaranteed $3.9 million on the cap. So his number, which would have been 19, you can essentially ditch $16 million going into next summer. Now, I think we're both under the assumption that in any scenario, he is 100% the most likely player to be included in a deal. But then the pieces are, well, is it Kennard or Morris? And which one of the centers seems to be getting thrown at the rumors? Because I've seen scenarios. I have not seen any proposals where it says Bledsoe, Kennard, and Morris. I've seen plenty that say Bledsoe, Kennard, and Abaco, or Bledsoe, Kennard, and Zubac, or Bledsoe, Morris, Abaco, or Bledsoe, Morris, Zubac. Now, Abaca has an expiring after this season. He's been paid, paid just under $10 million. Avisa Zubas, though, is on a very team-friendly $7 million for the next two years now. Two years, right. Yeah. So that brings me, I guess, to my next question for you, which would be, if you had to include one of the centers, which one would you want to include? Is your answer there, Abaca, because he's an expiring? Or is there any solace you take in the fact that the Clippers... I know we talked about this, you know, just in the office here, but they signed two centers to training camp deals and they have a loaded roster in terms of numbers already. Somebody's going to get squeezed. Is there a possibility that one of those centers is movable knowing that you have Harry Giles and Hartenstein in the background here who could maybe fill the backup role and then whether it be Zubac or Ibaka, they'd obviously have to man the middle. I have to pick back up to Marcus Cousins if one of these guys ended up leaving, actually. Okay. I do think in the same vein of Eric Bledsoe being more appealing to the Houston Rockets, it would be Serge Ibaka because he has the expiring deal there. Like, why? Evita Zubac is a really good young center, but he could also just leave, I believe, after that second year. I don't know... Well, and you have the to contract think. situation with Houston's likelihood of retaining him. Well, and you know, they and they, they really just took Shangoon, who they seem to be invested in as a center. They have option. Wood. They have Wood. They have the undersized, you know, Kenyon Martin Jr. getting front court minutes. They have undersized Tate getting front court minutes. Abaco would also serve as that Tate guys under your wing, good locker room guy. Build a little bit of culture with these young guys. Some grooming. Uh, that's a negative connotation now. <laughs> Some fostering <laughs> of a good culture. Yeah. yeah. Why do they got they to ruin all the cool words? <laughs> Can't say anything anymore. <laughs> you're a pedophile. It would be hard. I hate answering the question because then if it happens, you're going to see me do a complete 180. <laughs> I, I would not want to include Avisa Zubats. And I like Abaka. That was their big off-season move last season, which got completely overshadowed because he only played 45 games. But we've seen this team without him for an extended period, which is why I would be more inclined to say he would be the one leaving. Plus, I think it's more appealing for the Houston Rockets to take him in. Well, there's a part of me that wonders if they wouldn't rather have Morris than Kennard, because even though I hate Morris... Uh, Kennard is another wing option on a team that just loaded up on young wing options between Jalen Green, Kevin Porter Jr., Josh Christopher, Usman Garuba. Like, these are all guys 
who should be seeing significant time at the two, some even getting minutes at the three, just due to the, the glut of where all of their prospects are. They're relatively thin in the big man situation because they're playing guys kind of out of position at the four when you get Kenyon Martin Jr. and Tate, and then you've got Wood, who by all accounts may not fit their timeline, and he's probably their most valuable movable asset if they decide to move him because he's a very good player. He's just in a situation where he's got a couple years left on his deal, and by the time that they're ready to compete, I mean, he's either going to cost big money or you know he's going to be approaching 28 on a team full of 20 and 21-year-olds, very similar to what just happened with Larry Nash Jr. So I would just like to point out that if Christian Wood heard your podcast, he would be like, now those guys aren't casuals. <laughs> At least Bob <laughs> Schmidt, the no casuals NBA players. Well, I do love Christian Wood, and, and it's funny. It's, I can't I, believe they got him for what they did. The neither Detroit can I. has made the worst moves. I know it's different regimes now, but the worst moves the last couple of seasons. The fact that they signed Mason Plumley, Plum. three years, $24 million, and then they had to pay to get off him less than a year later. In large part, though, I have loved their drafts. I did love Sadiq Bey and Isaiah Stewart last year. I didn't love Killian Hayes. Uh, I like Green more than Cade, but I, I see either way. Well, I'm with you. I feel that if Green is healthy, now Cade may fill the stat sheet more, and Cade looks like a phenomenal three-point shooter. I think he'll be very good in his own right, but there's something about watching how Green plays. He's just so fluid. He's got and, the swag. Yeah. And it's he's got stupid, that quick but he's got something step back three. Superstar about him. Maybe it's just because he's so damn good looking. <laughs> the really only thing I have at. to worry is if he's going to stifle my boy Kevin Porter Jr. Outside of David Griffin, though, and what he's done with New Orleans the past couple of years, Detroit has done the worst job you in know many what? areas. I would have said that before last offseason. But when I'm looking at where they're at now... It all worked out. I love Isaiah Stewart. I think he was a fun, like normally. Did you like when PG-13 yammed on him? Did you like that? <laughs> they added Olenek for what was a very reasonable deal. I want to say three years, $37 million. He's the one who had the most recent in-gym practice where it was like, oh, Olenek's playing with like. Played a bunch of bums. Yeah, a head, headband Olenek. Oh, look out. <laughs> as much as I hate Olenek for what he did to Kevin Love all those years ago, oh. I do respect his game. I thought he played awesome in Houston. And I was. I wasn't surprised that they didn't retain him just because of where they are. But I look at that summer with, you know, with Bay and with Stewart coming into their second year, if they get anything out of Hayes, but I think they totally took the pressure off of him by bringing in Cade Cunningham, he's going to be able to grow at whatever pace he wants. And to retain Diallo for what they kept him for, I thought he had periods where he looked good last year. And Jeremy Grant, by all accounts, I hated that deal last summer. But it was way better hey. than I would have thought it would. Those and they first may still three months him. of Jeremy Grant uh, looking like the MVP. Well, he's an inefficient <laughs> gunner to some degree, but he's at least a two-way player. And he's a guy who now, with the way contracts look this summer, they may very well be able to move him and get multiple first-round picks. And that's like the short-sightedness of NBA fans every time somebody gets paid. You forget that. Three years down the road or four years that last year of the contract when the salary cap continues to rise and the next guy that gets paid is going to have the biggest contract, it doesn't look as bad. But every time on day one, we're like, oh my God, Mike Conley, the highest paid player in the NBA, what the fuck is going on here? It's like, no. Speaking to that, that point on the contracts, one of the other stories 
that came up this week. Thanks for not making me give you a definitive answer. I'll, I'll let you skirt around it. I'll let you skirt around it. Believe me, I have I have smashed the Ben Simmons to the Cavs idea so much that if it happens, I'm going to just be pulling shit out of my ass uh, trying to justify, well, you know, this could work because I, I hate that for <laughs> similar Did you see the mixtape in YMCA? <laughs> so, so we'll see uh, what happens with that. But as far as the contracts go, I mean, we touched on how contracts age over the period of time, which brings us to an interesting point as it relates to one of the extensions that happened this week. The Denver Nuggets extending their their four that they brought in from the Orlando Magic this season, Aaron Gordon, four years. Now, the numbers are incentive-based to some degree, but four years, $88 million, could be as much as $92 million. So, we're looking at $22 million a season on average for this extension, which again, it doesn't kick in until next season. And this year, they have him at a pretty reasonable rate. They have him at something like $16 million because the four for 80 deal he signed with Orlando was a de-escalating one. Okay. So he's locked in with Denver this year. But in fear of what would happen next summer with these salaries rising and knowing strike. that they're trying to compete, they decided as a franchise that the Nuggets wanted to extend him. They gave him what a lot of people said was too much money for the production that you get. Cause he's, he put forth a modest 13 and six this, uh, this season, but they're in a similar situation as the Clippers where money is relative if you're over the cap. So what were your thoughts when you saw the Aaron Gordon extension in terms of both? Does it make sense? Is it something that, that is capable of pushing the Nuggets over top, and then secondarily, just the sheer monetary aspect of it. And they're kind of in the same spot as the Clippers in some ways, waiting on Jamal Murray coming back from tearing his ACL. With Aaron Gordon, and he was really bad in uh, that series against the Phoenix Suns. And uh, was that I mean, the second round? The team was terrible. <laughs> they Michael got Porter swept. Jr. got hurt. His back was banged up. Gordon had a rough go of it. And, and it just. It's hard. Meek to get a feel or a gauge on exactly how you optimize him in that lineup. It should be off of some of the stuff they did with him, with just being the odd man out with other guys having the basketball and then just getting back cuts and easy dunks from Nikola Jokic. We saw some of that, but when he averages nine points per game, when other guys were down, like he is limited in how much he can do, at least at this point in his career, when you need him to take on a bigger role. That that became plain. Some of that could still be an adjustment period just being on a new team, though. Well, and there's the argument, too, that I've seen a lot of Nuggets fans rationalize this uh, by saying that, ideally, his role is as that fourth option offensively, and that the main motivation here is that, one, you traded an asset to bring him in. Two, you don't have any replacement value, knowing that you're going to be over the cap and you're going to be giving Jokic bigger money soon you already have murray on a massive you know max rookie extension porter jr is talking extensions so the thinking being well he's a very luxurious fourth option who won't be expected to do much and can play two ways somewhat is this a guy we want to bring in because he showed dotes he showed little spurts when he was with the magic before the trade of well this is a guy who can pass a little and he's gotten better from three a little yeah they must truly believe that he can be that type of complement to take advantage of the opportunities that playing alongside elite level scorers like Murray and Porter Jr. can do. He is someone that you would expect to play nicely next to those guys if everything if everybody else is healthy too. The the fit works 
if you're talking about a lesser role for somebody like that. And who else are you going to replace him with? And like you said, they gave up guys to get him. They gave up assets to get him. When you do that, typically you got to bite the bullet and pay him no matter what. And I don't think it's that exorbitant. I don't think it's that outrageous of a contract. I look at that in Lonzo Ball's contract and think this this could age nicely for both those well, teams. Well, they're relatively the same in terms of annual average value. They're both around four for 80, a little in excess of that. I want to say Lonzo was four for 85. And, and if this is true about Gordon being four for 88 for the incentives what's the incentive don't make another rap song (laughs) 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 to to parallel the deals it's really just you look at both those situations and truthfully those guys are being asked to be relatively the same cog for their team because you go to chicago they have levine they have DeRozan, they have vooch you go to denver they have Jokic, they have murray they have porter jr i guess maybe we need to reconcile this idea that a fourth option on a team is probably close to a $20 million player now. Yeah. I. Some people thought, and we're saying this, last year in the regular season, that Chris Middleton is a fourth option guy on a championship team. Well, that didn't weather well. <laughs> Did not age well. No. And he stepped up and he overcame some of the yips he had in the playoffs in the past. And I think great. it's fair to say that he outplayed Booker in the finals. Oh, he Just, did. Despite you know the prolific nights that Booker would have, he was so much less consistent. Yeah, he was uneven. Yeah, he Whereas, was uneven really throughout the playoffs. Like once Patrick Beverly got a hold of him, he just didn't look right. Uh, and Kardashian I, I, I thought too, Middleton's his best games came at the biggest moments in terms of consistent fourth quarter production. He would have games where he had huge first halves, but a lot of times, if he was quieter in the second half, it's because they ran away with it. Yeah. But in those tight games. Middleton consistently showed up in the fourth. Now, I do want to say Aaron Gordon is never going to be Chris Middleton. <laughs> now, no, and that's where no. this conversation is gone. I don't know where we took... Okay, let, let's look at Aaron Gordon just relative to the other quote-unquote power forwards. Obviously, people play multiple positions. But this summer, that was one of the most barren positions in terms of guys on the free agent market. Almost everything was wings and guards. And then you got your outliers were John Collins... Five for 125. The next biggest contract really was Aaron Gordon. Then a, a third probably would be Lowry Markinen signing that four for 67. Who and plays, he may be a bench player. And who plays the best defense out of those guys? I, I think it's Gordon. Like, yeah, no, I would agree. I, I've seen him play really stellar defense against Kawhi Leonard regular season, but <laughs> I've also seen Kawhi Leonard dunk on him. But he is a good defender. Like he can do some of the garbage stuff, some of the little things. And he's someone who will, at least if you're looking at this as a positive from Denver's point of view, accept that role of being the fourth guy and want to thrive and be a star in his role as the line goes. You know? I'm curious how you feel that impacts Terrence Mann's asking price. Because we could very well be looking at a situation where he's either the third or the fourth most important player on the team in another year when he's hitting that free agent number, are you expecting a contract in that 20 mil a season range? If he has another good season? Well, so much is being put into a few games and what his potential could be based upon that game six, really against the Utah jazz where he closed them out with a 39 point game is his career high, not regular season. played good off the court. He was unreal. And there has been this love affair between the fans and Terrence Mann. 
because of his mom and just his demeanor and the type of guy he is. And you want to talk about putting in the work and not having to put videos out there all the time. That's Terrence, man. <laughs> Character is who you are when no one's watching. And well, once he gets that payday, he can hire a film crew. <laughs> well, I, I just wonder, this is a huge season for him. And going back to the John Wall uh, possibility, like, do you stunt his growth if you bring in John Wall? Because they're not going to give him up in that deal. That's not no, happening. No way. But you could eat some of the minutes and take some of the court time away from Terrence Mann if John Wall's out there, not to mention the other three guys they just drafted. Well, presumably, if they bring in Wall, they'll be trading multiple guys to get it done. But be they already have, like, they will. I mean, if it's I know what you're saying. I mean, they brought Luke. in, what, three rookies this yes. year? Yes. Boston. Keon Johnson and, Preston. and Jason Preston. And then on top of that, they, they still have to make room for my boy Hartenstein and, uh, or Harry Giles, one of the two of them. I can like I, can I at least move. get you to commit to picking one of those two? Like which team, which camp are you in in the Giles versus Hartenstein debate? Oh, well, Giles. <laughs> is it because is it of Sacramento ties? Or? That and just... Is where? it because you're a racist against white setters? <laughs> well, that and... Straight up racism. Hey. <laughs> Multiple knee injuries. I just like to see a good story like this. The potential is high. Also, he has unusual vision for a guy at, at that size. I think Hartenstein has fantastic vision. I, I'm not saying it's bad. I, I, I guess I've seen more of, of Giles as well. Well, Giles is mostly labored away on my fantasy roster. <laughs> I haven't spent a whole ton of time watching him, but I do, I do like what you get like approaching double-double numbers. He seems like a very solid rebounder. I, I hope that he has an opportunity that he makes a team. I'd love to see it. I'd like to see both of them make the team. Yeah. I'd like him to start at point guard and shooting guard. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I just, let's really lean into this, uh, this developmental. No, no, <laughs> just getting ridiculous at this point. Okay. So we touched on wall. We taught, we didn't, we didn't get your uh, commitment, whether you wanted that deal or didn't want that deal. Who's but, on the table. Give me the okay. Clippers that are leaving. In, in this scenario, Bledsoe, Morris, Abaca, and you can bring back House along with Wall. Eddie House, <laughs> Daniel House, <laughs> the Bubble Boy. Uh, That's right. I could see it happening. How about that? I could see it happening. I don't think it's that uh, out of the out of question. I could see it happening. Okay, because there is something to top end talent. And that player option, and, and you get rid of it? Morris, which I think we can all agree is just a massive How morale. Win, no, see, he's going to be the other culture builder with Houston. I need a tough guy, <laughs> I need a badass. I think. Wait, was he there once already? Mm. Was it him or his brother? <laughs> How crazy is it though that we're seeing these guys with these perceived immovable deals just get bought out with over a year remaining? Like, if you would have told me the Blake Griffin situation where now you're actually seeing guys pay that much to get out of their own deal just to go take a minimum elsewhere. I feel like there's been a couple of paradigm shifts. That's been one. The other is teams going for it. You look back, three of the last four teams in the finals probably shouldn't have been there, weren't the best teams in their respective conferences at the time. They just were the most fortunate. They just were the healthiest. And I think other teams have seen that trend with the Heat getting all the way there uh, last year, and then this year with the Suns and Milwaukee Bucks. And now every team is saying, we don't have to be the best team on paper to start off the season. We just have to get a little bit luckier. We just have to get a few things to bounce our way, and we have a chance to win it all. 
Well, by that logic, you should want to steer away from these massive top-end talent deals that deprive you of depth because, in theory, you could weather the storm more as one of these teams who just wins a war of attrition due to volume of quality players as opposed to, you know, you look at the Nets and it's like, okay, you're a team largely constructed around three super superstars, but if two of them are out of the lineup, I mean, even with Kevin Durant playing out of his mind, they still couldn't survive. Toe on the line. Over the line. Well, them and the Lakers. Let's talk about some of the uh, over-unders for, for Vegas in terms of where people are projected to finish. But let's start, of course, with your own team. Do you feel 45 and a half is a fair number? Too low? Too high? It's respectable. <laughs> a lot of people, I have seen this. Some people have had the Clippers eighth in the West. Well, yeah, this would slot them in. in. Based on Vegas, that's slotting them in around 7th, yeah. It's going to be so tight. How much tread are you going to burn on the tires of Paul George the last two months of the the regular season if they know Kawhi is not coming back and they're still really playing for the season afterwards? Well, do you think he will want to force the issue now that he's re-signed this big contract? Do you think he personally, just due to all the abuse he's taken the last two years (laughs) in the eyes of... You know, fans who have certain expectations that he would want to go all out this year. I'm sure he he does, but they could take the bat out of his hands. They have always had an eye on the future. You're not going to run him into the ground if they're not competing for a championship this season. He's 31 now. Uh, I guess what I'm asking then now would be, do you think seventh is an appropriate seed for them to end up in? Or do you think they'll do better or worse than that? I think they're going to be closer to fifth. I think... Fifth or sixth. Okay. If I had to guess, sixth. Well, who do you think has gotten significantly better because of what happened over the summer in the West? Is there any teams you look at there? Like amongst the, so Vegas is predicting that the Lakers finish top in the West. They have Phoenix and Utah up there. And then the other teams they had above the Clippers in some order were Golden State, Dallas, and Denver. I was surprised, honestly. I think the one that surprised me the most is Vegas is expecting a big resurgence Golden from Golden State. I didn't I don't know if I was as confident that that was going to happen just with the uncertainty around Clay and everything else that's happening. That's essentially saying, you know, two rookies and whatever they get from Wiseman and then Curry and Draymond is going to get you there until I think eventually Clay can be back. Because of how good Steph Curry was last season. If Clay is 75% of what he was. And I'm wondering, because I think on offense, it's not going to be as difficult of an adjustment for him post these two serious injuries because he was a spot-up shooter. I think it's on defense that he's likely going to lose the most of you know that juice he had because I, I thought he was the best perimeter defender outside of Kawhi Leonard before the injuries. Do you look at what they did this summer with... Oubre being gone in Charlotte and then bringing in Otto Porter Jr. and drafting Kaminga and Moody. Do you view them as better than they were? Uh, I mean, I I would say that (laughs) I I would say that I do. I would say that as much as like Oubre had moments, I do think. Was he shooting from three the first month? (laughs) I mean, he was was definitely. he, He was the. The ultimate feaster famine player. Yeah. Some days he would just, he'd blow up and he'd have a great scoring game and then he'd shoot, 
you know, 17% from the floor on high volume. And you'd be like, well, this is why we can't retain this guy at high money. But considering they brought in Otto Porter Jr. on a veteran minimum, that's yeah. more of a two-way player, a guy who creeps much closer to 40% from three. I love that signing. That's one of my favorite vet men signings of the summer. And then Moody, I he think, could contribute. I think Moody could contribute as a rookie. I think Kuminga, he just has to do it in flashes. Yeah. Does Wiseman make any type of leap in consistency and keeping his fouls down? Because he could really make a difference if he can consistently deliver the type of impact that he would show in small doses last year. So I mean, I don't see how they could be worse, but they were one game out of making the playoffs last year. So, I don't know if they're top four. I wouldn't say that. I okay, well, do you, do you segregate, I guess, in terms of tiers? Like, it, who are your elite yeah. teams in the West? Is Golden State in there, or to you, are they in a I different have to see class? Clay. I have to see Clay. If, if Clay's 80%, yes. But I'd still put him below the Lakers, Phoenix. I think Phoenix is the second best team still. Utah, I would still take all three of them and possibly Denver over them. So, <laughs> well, Vegas doesn't seem to love Denver either. Denver is, they have them at sixth. And I think the argument could be made that if Murray was back with the what else you're getting from Gordon and seemingly more improvement from Porter Jr., that they could be much higher. In my mind, I look at those, those West seedings and I think the ones that I find the most interesting are. Is Golden State going to be as good as they predict? And are those teams above Denver going to be able to hold off Denver, you know, going into the second half of the season? If Clay isn't close to where he was, they're still going to be really bad defensively. So they're going to be trying to outscore teams every night where the rest of those teams we just talked about, they're all far superior on that end of the floor. Lakers, Phoenix, Utah, Denver. Okay. And I could flip Utah and Denver, honestly. I do think the Lakers will be a very good regular season team because just due to volume of talent they have in terms of that top end. The one thing that makes me hesitate to say that they would be the one seed as a sure thing is I just don't know if that's LeBron's mentality at this point in his career that he's going to want to push for that knowing that two of those guys are on the older side and then Davis is a complete, I mean, Davis is less reliable than Westbrook in terms of yeah. of not knowing how injuries are going to impact him. I do wonder, though, if he felt like, I took my MVP last season. I was going to win it this last season. It feels like he's chasing that last MVP, regular he's never season MVP. Get one. As, much as, as much as I love LeBron, he's got to just not worry about that part of it. Like, I would hope at this point in his career, having achieved so much, the only accolade he's still chasing would be Kareem's record. And then everything else is just focused on be healthy, be productive when it actually matters. Kareem's record is another ring. It really is. Well, that's going to be, it was always going to divide along the legacy line of volume versus peak. You yeah. know, like that's always going to be what it is with Jordan and LeBron as we go along because his counting stats are going to be so obscene. He's compiling that people more. will people will just say, well, look at how it, long he did it. Yeah. Look at how uninterrupted he did it. And look at the volume of his pure stats versus I think anyone fairly could look at those peaks and say, well, Jordan's peaks were higher. But LeBron's... I think it's a lot closer than people realize, oh, though. <laughs> I agree. I, I, I agree. And I, of course, I'm a giant LeBron fan. But I just think that's going to be, when all is said and done, it's just going to be what approach people want to argue to who's the greatest of all time. And, and what Jordan fans are going to say, or Jordan apologists or defenders, they're going to give LeBron the longevity GOAT title, is what they're going to say. He's the longevity GOAT. He ain't the GOAT. 
<laughs> which is going to be really annoying. So. Well, dude, it's already really annoying oh, yeah. that every ring now has asked. Everybody's like, well, is this an asterisk ring? Because every ring is an asterisk ring. We by didn't that. do that when Cedric Sabalas wasn't playing in 93 for the Phoenix Suns. Nobody talks about no. stuff like that. No, but now we've reached this point culturally where it's just like, okay, if it's not by my standard, then yeah. it doesn't count. Yeah. You know, regardless of the fact that every season throughout history has had injuries, has had all sorts of things happen. They get buried in the past. But I do think the Lakers are going to be very good to your point of what you t- what you initially were talking about with uh, just how many players they have in the depth. Even if they have a bunch of old guys, if you're platooning them, if you're staggering them, it's Ariza one week, it's Carmelo the next week. That's you not going to matter. Hobo Trez coming in with Kenneth Reed potentially. Hobo <laughs> Trez. <laughs> that's awful. <laughs> just saying. That's the first thing I thought when I saw him. Is I'm like, you're just you're that, that was the comp that you talk about all the time with Montrez Harrell. But then they have three young guys who are going to be innings eaters in none, Straight Malik Monk, and THT yeah. that can run up and down the court all day long. I definitely think they have potential. I've been seeing rumors that uh, LeBron's planning to shift to play a lot more at the four, even this this season so that they can run out a lot of that depth option they have in the backcourt, which now, would be interesting considering they just keep signing center after center. That's a, that's a head coach thing. Like That's what he's comfortable with. And, yeah. and to his credit, he has gotten... I mean, Roy Hibbert was an all-star. Like Frank Vogel is comfortable with more traditional type of big men. And DeAndre Jordan is not nearly as washed as people want to say. Well, it's probably just washed relative to my man, Jared Allen, who's clearly just a far superior player. And I'm watching them run him out of town for a far inferior DeAndre Jordan, only to give up four second round picks just to get out of his contract two years into it. I mean, he was going to take some criticism. He's he's taking criticism that really should be directed toward Sean Marks as far as what the hell were you thinking anyway? Signing the guy. For more on uh, the Jared Allen love, Fear the Fro podcast. Oh, yes. With Bob the Schmitt. Fear the Fro podcast. Bob, so this is what I should probably no explain. Too. I, I should probably explain what I'm attempting <laughs> to do here because there are some people, you know, Adam so kindly retweeted something that I put on on my newly created uh, Twitter account at Fear the Fro Pod, which is a largely Cavs based podcast. And I guess there was part of me that thought, you know what, I need to get my sea legs under me with this podcasting thing and just generally being available via social media. So what I decided to do initially was, well, what do I want to talk about? I love the Cavaliers. I'll just start a Cavaliers podcast. So I did that. I'm like eight episodes in. But then I realized, you know what? I want to do something that's more general NBA too, because, you know, as somebody who started a team podcast in the deadest period of the season, I quickly realized that my interests do expand slightly outside of the Cavaliers. While I will always bring things back to, like even as we were talking about the need to retain Gordon, of course, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, well, it's similar to the Cavs because they gave up a first-round pick for Jared Allen, and they just gave him $20 million a season, and he's possibly their fourth most important player. Of course, those things creep into my mind. Six degrees of Cavaliers. But I thought, you know what? I want to do a show where I can just talk about all things NBA because I do feel like on our station, obviously, there is a perceptible lean towards the Dodgers. It's understandable. They generate the money. They take up most of the content. They're on every single day. But my feelings have always been when I've done your podcast that 
I love the NBA more than any other sport, and I wanted more opportunities to talk about it. So once I was doing my Cavaliers podcast, Fear the Fro, I decided that, well, I want to do one here with the KLAC guys that's just NBA, like all things NBA. So that even if you've got Fred Rogan over here saying that, you know, DeAndre Drummond is better than DeAndre Ayton, there would be some sort of alternative for people to turn to where they knew every week, okay, we're just going to be beating all these NBA subjects to death, whether it be trade talk, which I know Petros and money hate, whether it be money talk, which I'm sure is boring to tons of people, but for people who are trying to plan for a future of a team and trying to look at how somebody can change their fortunes, I think those are all relevant things to consider. Mm. So that's when I decided. Yeah, exactly. My hope is that on a week to week basis, all the times where I'd be sitting in my room being like, gosh, I hope Adam and Kevin invite me on their podcast. <laughs> now at least I get a once a week outlet to talk about probably to the same people, honestly, for the most part. Perfect. But I, I want to talk about these things on an ongoing basis. And I thought, well, you know what? I need to do something that doesn't scream. This podcast doesn't matter unless you're a Cavs fan. So I've launched two. And who knows? Maybe I'll launch a third. I I, I really can't predict these things. I'm kind of an all or nothing person. I'm either completely out or I'm way too invested to the point. It's just like fantasy basketball, Adam. I I, I take it to a degree that I probably shouldn't to the, you know, at the expense of my personal relationships. And, uh, you you know, really (laughs) the dangerous situation here is how I balance the rest of my life with all of this stuff. Well, it's all secondary. Secondary. You got to get your priorities straight here. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Basketball, clear number one, obviously. It's great, though. The diehards are getting manna from NBA heaven and living off of that. Well, that's my hope. I've said this before, but I wanted to thank you and Kevin for, uh, yeah, basically kind of like pushing me down this road. And and I'm glad that we're finally doing it in a podcast form. It Mm -hmm. will be available Every week at Broken Jumper on uh, the iHeartRadio app, on Apple, on Google Podcasts, on Spotify, in all places where you get podcasts. So go on. You should review the podcasts. Make all sorts of uh, innuendo about Adam and I's <laughs> incredible chemistry. We're and sitting then, one foot from one another, exactly. actually, if you guys didn't And know. then when Kevin reads it, he'll be incredibly jealous. <laughs> Eventually, I'll, I'll tear the FNA podcast apart. I'll absorb it. Into my little empire. And that's fine. And We're then, under uh, the uh, broken jumper umbrella. Yeah. And then there you go. That's the end game. <laughs> hey, better call Saul. In Divide my opinion, and it's better than Breaking Bad now. So spinoffs becoming well, there better you go. than the original. It does happen once in a while. There's other stuff that I want to talk to you guys in the future about. I'm thinking next week we're going to get into more of the upcoming season projections as we get closer to the training camp starting. And I'm sure we may even have more news in regards to, we didn't even touch on Ben Simmons this episode, um, but in regards to John is that, Wall. Is that, is that who ben this Simmons, podcast is named after? <laughs> well, it's funny you say that because <laughs> while you King haven't Girl heard Christ. it yet, but when you go back and you listen to the open, you're going to realize that you're more prophetic than you may have, uh, <laughs> may have assumed. So I want to thank everybody for checking out Broken Jumper, the podcast. This is episode one. More episodes to come next week. I want to thank my guest, Adam Osland, the voice of the Clippers in the pre and post games. That's just around the corner, heading out to the big groundbreaking of the Clippers' new arena. It's weird. I already had a shovel in the back of my car. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. What? What? We, I'll, I'll erase that part. Uh, I'll take this down should the authorities ever come looking. Thank you for listening. I'm Bob Schmidt, the voice of AM570 LA Sports, and he is Adam Osland. 
That's it. No more broken jumper. No. No. Download past episodes you missed and like and subscribe anywhere you listen to podcasts. Go to the iHeartRadio app. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Broken Jumper. And tune in weekly for more NBA coverage.